to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who were underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about. Here at the show, we call it Whamnesia. We do not call it that. (laughs) But on this podcast, we'll give you a little deep dive into history before handing you off to a live storyteller who will talk about a woman who should be in your history Mm -hmm. book. Your personal history book that we all keep at home, right? Just me? Great. My favorite nerd. The stories you'll hear about on this podcast are recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month, we're going to do a deep dive into an itsy-bitsy portion of women's history. So take a big breath and bring earplugs if you get ear infections like me if you swim too deep. We're diving in. I love you. (laughs) My name is Molly Gaby, and I successfully sold my bet on Craigslist the other day, and I did not get murdered, so I'm literally the president now. And I'm Kylie Holloway. I bought the bet on Craigslist, and I'm donating to Molly Gaby 2020. 2020, baby! Woo! So this is the third and final episode of the Bad Broads of Broadcasting Podcast, and oh boy howdy, we've covered a lot of ground. From the studios of Hollywood to the battlefields of Spain to, in this episode, the feminist annals of Korea. Yeah, and if you don't know, some women were feminists, some were journalists, and some were feminist journalists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the world of journalism is an old boys club that's news to zero people. Uh, so there were no mechanisms of allowing women into it. And we see this effect in hiring processes, to maternity leave, to uh, what women were allowed to wear at work. Now, a lot of the stories surrounding this are sad. Uh, (laughs) But there are some amazing comedic bright spots amidst the misogyny. For example, Linda Ellerby, who was an early reporter for Congress for NBC News, was allowed to wear blue jeans and sneakers to work because there was no official code of conduct that applied to women journalists in Congress. There was only one for men. So the men had to walk around in full like shirt, suits, jackets, the whole nine yards. And Linda got to literally kick it at working kicks. Hell yeah. Yeah, I love a feminist loophole. Yeah, we see a lot of creativity in feminism, like when in 1964, 46 women brought the first sex discrimination lawsuit ever against Newsweek. Um, This lawsuit completely blew up in the profession, but here's the creative part, and this is why I love this story so much. Um, They pretty much trolled Newsweek before trolling had a name. So Newsweek had already planned to release a cover story about feminism, and the cover of it had a woman with her fist in the air, and it said, Women in Revolt. And on the very same day, these women bringing the lawsuit announced it against (laughs) Newsweek. It's so savage. It's such good PR planning. I love everything about this. But I also really quickly want to have Kylie read you the intro to that article, the cover article, uh, because Newsweek could not help themselves. They had to explain why a woman was writing this piece on feminism. Here's a preview. It's going to be problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ready? In the age of social protest, the old cause of U.S. feminism has flared into new and angry life in the women's liberation movement. It is a phenomenon difficult to cover. Most of the feminists won't even talk to male journalists who are hard put in to tell the story with the kind of insight a woman can bring into it because she, too, maybe has lady parts. Mm -hmm. For this week's coverage, Newsweek sought out Helen Dudar, a top-flight journalist who is also a woman. Wow. Incredible Newsweek. You know, uh, this actually reminds me, another journalist who wrote essays, books, kicked off a cultural revolution, and also had time to be a woman, is the subject of our final episode, Nahe Sook. 
She traveled the world, wrote essays on the status of other ladies in Korea, had a side hustle as a painter, became the mother of feminism in that country, and inspired generations after her. We're pretty into her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She pretty much brought feminism and journalism together. So go to the store, buy some socks, and get ready to have them knocked the fuck off. Here is Alex Laughlin here to inspire you with the story of Na Hae Suk right after this ad break. Drinking plus women's history sounds like my kind of party. Check out Herstory on the Rocks. It's a podcast that's just two gals sipping cocktails and talking all things Herstory. Join Katie and Allie as they talk about good women, bad women, cartoon women, game-changing women, and every woman in between. Because ladies have nuance. Each week, these famous ladies are paired with a themed cocktail and a recipe posted online so you can drink along with them. Come take the history class your teachers wouldn't let you. There's more cursing, more drinking, and more ladies. You can follow them at at Herstory on the Rocks on Instagram. They're a damn good time. Check them out. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Alex Laughlin. I am indeed a Scorpio. Shout out to my boyfriend who is live streaming this from Connecticut (laughs) and who doesn't believe in astrology. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm an audio producer here in New York. I produce podcasts and I used to work at Buzzfeed news before we were all laid off. And before that I was at the Washington post. Um, I'm also an adjunct lecturer at CUNY um, in their uh, graduate school of journalism. This will become relevant in a minute, I promise. Uh, this is Na Hesok. She was a writer, a poet, a journalist, a teacher, an artist in 20th century Korea. Quick history lesson, in case you didn't read Pachinko last year. Um, Korea was colonized by Japan from 1910 to 1945. And it was all really brutal for the people in Korea. Um, They weren't allowed to speak their own language. They were treated as second-class citizens in their own homeland. But it's complicated because the Japanese wanted to educate Koreans. They wanted to teach them to read and speak Japanese and to teach them to um, respect their Japanese government. (laughs) And so... A weird side effect of this colonization is that a certain class of Koreans had access to education, more so than they would have otherwise. Na Hae-sok was one of those people. So let me back up a little bit and tell you a little about her life. In 1913, she graduated from high school and went on to the private school of fine arts for women in Tokyo, where she studied studied Western oil painting. Uh, She spent her college years doing what a lot of us do in college, finding herself, creating art, and becoming politically radical. Uh, She got super involved with the Japanese feminist movement, Um, and when she was 18, she wrote her first essay about feminism. So Korea has this archetype. It's called Hyunmo Yangcho, and it means wise mother and good wife. It's one of those powerful phrases that betrays what a society believes about its women, about its people. And Hyunmo Yangjo is distinctly at odds with another paradigm for Korean women's identity, which is Shinyo Song, or the new woman. So new woman was a term that originated in the West in the early part of the 20th century to describe women who were independent and educated. Think first wave feminism. 
This was the first time that women were entering the public square physically and ideologically. Um, and they were being, you know, celebrated for the first time in their own way. And it, by the way, mostly white women. Um, so the new, mo- the new women movement, though, bled over into Japan and by extension into Korea. And Heso got super into it. <laughs> she graduated college in 1918. And by the way, she was the first woman, Korean woman painter, to receive a BA ever. So that same year, she published a short story called Kyunghi, which was a semi-autobiographical story about a Korean woman who goes to school in Japan and then comes home and faces all of these questions and criticism about how worthy it is to educate women. Kyunghi is widely considered Korea's first feminist short story. Here's a quote from it. I am a woman, and I am a Korean woman, a woman shackled by Korean society's family conventions. If a woman tries to stand on her own, she will feel pressure from all quarters. And if she aspires to accomplish something, she will be criticized from all sides. So, after she graduates school, she becomes super involved with the anti-colonialist movement in Korea, and she even gets imprisoned for five months. Then she marries her college boo, a dreamboat named Uyong, who is a lawyer, and he has a nice salary that subsidizes her art, which is great. (laughs) She holds the first one-person art show in Seoul, and it was like this crazy, awesome social event. And this is when she really becomes a public figure. She starts getting profiled by magazines and newspapers, and she also starts contributing articles and essays about feminism in Korea. She is like the fanciest lady in Korea. <laughs> so then she starts traveling because her husband has this fancy job, and they travel all over Asia, then they go to Europe, then they go to the United States. And sometime in the period between 1927 and 1929, she takes eight months off and goes to Paris to take painting lessons. And this is a photo of her at that time when she was in Paris. But here's where things go downhill for her. She has an affair in Paris, um, which that's not the downhill part. (laughs) But the news comes out And her husband divorces her, her family disowns her, her children are taken away from her, and nobody wants to associate with her her in any way. Her work dries up, and really quickly her name becomes Poison. Um, Because of this, we don't know a lot about what happened to her in the later years of her life. She was homeless. She traveled around, staying with friends when she could. She would, like, barter paintings for lodging. Um, And her physical and mental health really deteriorated in her later years. And in 1948, she died in a charity hospital alone. And for years, her life was a cautionary tale to mouthy women in Korea who didn't live up to the expectations of womanly duty to be a wise mother and a good wife. But despite the sad and lonely end to her life, I consider Na Hesok to be a foremother of mine. She didn't work in radio, 
which technically I don't either, but we still call it that in the community. I don't know why. (laughs) In the community. Um, (laughs) I'm not even sure she had the chance to be on the radio, Um, but she was a pioneer of a different kind. She was a pioneer for Korean women to question and critique and to express even the ugliest parts of themselves. Judgment be damned. So, let's fast forward about 20 years. This is Kim Jin-young. She grew up in Seoul in the 1970s. Her father was incredibly abusive toward her and her mother. He was angry that she was going to school. He didn't understand why you would pay for your daughter to go to school when you could invest in your son, which he had one of those too. Her mother, that's her mother in the corner, secretly gave her money to pay for her tuition. She never taught Jin Young how to cook because she didn't want her to be trapped as a man's wife. But Jin Young never finished college. She met an American man and had a daughter at 22. That was me. Plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> She uprooted her life and moved halfway around the world. She learned a new language. She sacrificed her career and a lot of her life and definitely her education, all for me. She always tells me that I am her greatest accomplishment. And now I'm standing here on stage in front of all of you. I'm a Korean woman who is so far from the world where Na Hesok lived. But I feel the power of her words and her courage behind me. It's the power of generations of women, Korean women, who have fought with their own families for the right to express their creativity and their passions. It's the headstrong women in my history and my family, my grandmother, my mother, and even Hesok herself, who paved the way for me to be here today. Thank you. That was Alex Laughlin telling the story of Na Hae Sook. She's an audio producer and writer living in New York. She's made podcasts for the New York Times, BuzzFeed News, and the Washington Post. She also teaches at CUNY's Graduate School of Journalism. Now, I've heard Alex tell that story a few times now, and I get choked up every single time. I think we sometimes forget the ripple effect today of women's accomplishments in the past. Nahe Sok, Gerda Taro, and Dorothy Arzner didn't exist in a vacuum. Their actions changed the lives of women for years and years to come, and Hesok's story is a great reminder of that. All of that is badass about Alex Laughlin exists in part because Hesok did her thing. Yes, and so much of her is badass. We love her. We want to thank you all for listening and helping us celebrate these incredibly important women. More and more badasses like them are emerging as time goes goes on. And although women in past newsrooms, like we talked about, were routinely harassed, things are much better now, especially online and more specifically on Twitter, where female journalists enjoy veneration and lively, respectful debate based on their work. Just kidding. A female journalist is harassed on Twitter every 30 seconds, according to Amnesty International. Yeah, I guess 30 seconds is all the time they need to jerk off to completion in the nearest half-empty bottle of Mountain Dew Code Red and then get right back to it. Gross. Oh, geez. Okay, incels aside, things are looking up. 
Right now, there are more women in journalism school than men, and more women of color than ever are writing and producing their own stories for TV, films, and podcasts. There's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, and there's so much further to go, but for now, we can take comfort knowing that the badasses, like the ones we heard about on this series didn't wait for someone to tell them it's okay to take their place in history. They just did it. We've come a long way since women were only assigned one floor in the New York Times. I mean, there's still goop, but we can't win them all. Can't win them all. Mm-hmm. So this has been the Bad Broads of Broadcasting series. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. On the next series, we are covering Explorers, Bitches Who Brave the Unknown. The first episode in that series drops in two weeks. In the meantime, look out for a bonus episode by the one and only Molly Gaby. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm going to take you on a journey with me when I went undercover for the first time mm-hmm. to an anti-abortion prayer rally. It's a delight. Listen in. <laughs> Nevertheless, She Existed is produced by me, Kylie Holloway. Our editor is the fabulous Paula Pickering, and our executive producers are Ben Lilly and Kate Downey. They're fabulous, too. Our theme music is Wasting My Time by Thick. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat. Follow us on socials at Caveat NYC and head to our website, caveat.nyc, to see upcoming podcasts as well as live events. You can follow Molly at Molly Gaby and Kylie at There's a Holloway. See you next time. This podcast is also brought to you by Let's Mel Gibson. Let's Mel Gibson. Let's Mel Gibson. Let's Mel Gibson. Let's Mel Gibson.